Hi, welcome back to another episode of Real World Serverless, a podcast where I speak with real world practitioners and get their stories from the trenches. Today, I'm joined by Adam Elmore. Hey, man, long time no see. Hi, and yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, I've been uh, keeping track of uh, what you've been doing and uh, you've been doing some really interesting stuff, which I can't wait to get into. I guess uh, maybe before we get into that, can you just say a few words about yourself and uh, what you've been up to? Yeah, so I am, I'm Adam Elmore. I'm from the Ozarks in the middle of the US. I'm an independent, I don't know, I'm terrible with titles. I've worked for myself most of my career, so I've never really had a proper title. I'm an independent cloud engineer, I guess architect. I don't know what I am. Uh, I, I mostly like building on AWS. I'm recently named an AWS DevTools hero. And yeah, recently, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of working. I do client work. So I build things for mostly startups. I had a startup for a few years. And now I mostly kind of consult for startups that are building on AWS. So that's kind of what I'm up to. Yeah, I guess, uh, firstly, congratulations on the inclusion to the AWS Heroes program. Thank you. It's uh, really yeah. well deserved. Oh man, it's it's such an honor. I uh I I always kind of like wanted to become a hero. I thought someday that was like a career goal. I was very surprised to to find out that I was one. I don't know if I ever wouldn't have been surprised, but definitely caught me off guard. Very excited. I think you've been putting out a lot of content in terms of the stuff you've been sharing on social media, but also in terms of your podcast and lots of other things that you've been working on and the some of the products that you've been doing, which we're going to get into in a minute. Uh, which I think, uh, you know, all of those things are really good uh, ways to share your experience with uh, the wider community. I think I really love this whole trend of building public and learning public, and which I think is really good for everybody, not just for the person who are doing them. And I think that the stuff that you've been sharing has been really inspiring to a lot of people I've spoken with. So I think it's definitely a well-deserved uh, Heroes program. Well, yeah, I, I appreciate that. I, I actually just in the last couple of weeks, <laughs> I started streaming. So I'm like, I'm literally streaming my entire working days on Twitch, at least for the last two weeks. And the plan is to keep doing it. Uh, so I'm definitely learning in public. Public. If anyone has watched those streams, uh, they will watch me basically just Google all day uh, how to do stuff. <laughs> That's basically what I'm doing. I'm learning in public, I guess. And I have to say, I'm a big admirer of uh, the fact that you are really full stack. Uh, you're really comfortable with both the front end and the back end. And I think the same goes to anybody else who's uh, a true full stack developer, someone who is not just, you know, knows a lot of back end, can dabble in the front end or the vice versa, but someone who's actually proficient in both. I mean, I've just spent the last couple of days uh, rebuilding the landing page for the AppSync Masterclass uh, uh, from scratch uh, using Vue and Tailwind CSS. And it's been yeah. literally every five minutes, literally everything I do, I have to Google, how do I make a text appear in the center? How do I put them in the bottom of a container? It's just crazy how much stuff you learn and then you forget. And then the six months later, you, you got to relearn the whole thing again. And someone who can seamlessly you know, do both the front end and the back end, you, know, you, you have a lot of my respect, man. Well, I think, yeah, I, I didn't intend to do that. Like, I don't think I ever set out thinking I want to learn all the different things. I think I've just always built stuff alone. Most of my career, I've kind of been on my own. And when you are, you sort of have to do all of it. So I think if I could like choose to only build backend stuff, I would probably not touch the front end, honestly. But like when you work by yourself, you don't have anybody else to sort of do that. So I've just kind of been stuck with it, I guess. But yeah, it's a lot of Googling. It's like every time I center something in Tailwind, I have to re-Google, like, is it justifies center? I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's never going to stick at this point. 
Yeah, I think CSS is, CSS is one of those things that, uh, I don't know, you just have to relearn every couple of months because uh, you, yeah. it's so easy to forget. There's so many different tricks. There's so many different little things that uh, kind of gets in the way. You forget to do one thing and it behaves completely different. Yeah, it's yep. one of the most difficult things I've had to learn. I think Vue, you know, I can pick it up quite easily. It's quite easy to learn. React, I think uh, I've had to learn it a few times and within a few yeah. months, within a few weeks, I forget everything I learned. Uh, but I think Vue is a bit more persistent. I think it's a bit easier to remember, to learn and, and use it. It's a bit more approachable, at least for someone who is much more so focused on the backend as I am. Yeah. Yeah, I mostly remember the things that I keep using. Like anytime I stop using something, it goes away very quickly. And uh, speaking about uh, this whole rebuild I'm doing, the reason I'm, why I'm doing it is because I actually put my landing page on the Google Page Insight, and I you know, wasn't happy with what I was kind of seeing coming back. I mean, the, the sort of loading time, the, the time to first interaction, those are all just much higher than I would expect. The whole thing was, uh, you know, it was running on WordPress, but I was using Shifter, which gives you this like serverless WordPress thing. So you'll compile your WordPress to static page, and then you would uh, host it out of CloudFront. So it's supposed to reason quite fast. But with a lot of this WordPress stuff, you just get so much stuff that is included in the headers and uh, there's just so much crap you have to download. So you're just not going to get very good performance. So I thought, okay, and I want to try dark mode. And so while I do that, I might as well just try to rebuild the whole thing. And it's just been really difficult. And I'm actually really surprised that looking at a lot of the other tools out there. I've tried Wix as well for some other things I've, been, I've done. The performance on those are also not good. And then the, that's, and I remember something that you've been doing for a while. You've been building public.dev. And one of the things that you keep talking about is just how bad the performance of these tools are. And that's why you're building public.dev. So can you maybe share a bit some of the things that you've done so far and what you've seen in terms of what your customers are doing, the results that they are seeing as well? Yeah, absolutely. So public.dev is like a, it's a personal site builder for developers. So if you're a developer and you want to have your personal site up there on the web, but you don't necessarily want to do that from scratch. I know a lot of developers like to build their own, but if you maybe are a backend developer, you don't have like a good design sense, or you just don't want to take the time to sort of build out your portfolio, it's meant for those developers. So it's not for everybody, but for those developers, it's just a way to quickly stand up a good portfolio that's fast, you know, semi-attractive with some kind of basic customization or whatever. But when I set out to build it, I did sort of survey the landscape of site builders and found that th they're really not performant. So most site builders, and I, I guess it, I guess it makes sense, like that the people who are using them just don't maybe care. But I think for developers, I know for me, I really care. Like anything I put out there under my name, I want it to be fast. I want it to be like sort of checking all the web dev boxes, like. I've tested it against, you know, LightSail or whatever. LightSail's the AWS product. What's Light Lighthouse scores? I don't know. I uh, <laughs> I want it to be like as fast as it can be because it's sort of representing me, right? And I think all the like there, there's so many site builders and even just like products that that aren't their core product isn't a site builder, but like tangentially they they need a site builder because you're gonna like white label this product. So I think of like some of the teaching. Like when I'm setting out to build a course and some of those products, they have to build a site for you to put your, your courses on it, right? Even those I find like they're, they're just not checking those it's really fast boxes. And there, there was like one site builder I think I found versally that they're really fast, but that was sort of the idea. It was like, 
I I would love to just use some service to put my personal page up that I could quickly kind of like what you see is what you get edit my personal site and make it look good. But I just can't handle the like super slow time to first buy it or time to interactive all those things that that those site builders don't don't seem to check. Uh, so yeah, public it builds you a site that it's served you know from the CDN. It's all static, but it's it's a Next.js site, so it's based on this concept of like incremental static regeneration. So ISR, where basically like the data is kept up to date. You can have dynamic things on your personal site, like GitHub stars or package downloads, that sort of stuff. Or if it's an RSS feed, like your latest blog entries, uh, you can have that stuff on your personal site and it's kept up to date, but your users, the people who are viewing your personal page are always getting that cache site. So it rebuilds it sort of asynchronously in the background and puts newer versions of your site up on on the CDN. So that's how Next.js you know, works in terms of ISR. I don't think they invented that concept, but that's how they implement it. And then I guess I didn't like the idea of my personal site having React. Like it's a portfolio site. It, I don't feel like it should be a full-fledged React app. So I sort of strip out like the personal sites that are built don't include React. So it's just a very simple HTML, CSS page. Uh, it's progressively enhanced. So there's a little bit of JavaScript, like six kilobyte JavaScript file that just does like link preloading, things like that. So I, I've really focused a ton on making this sort of like precise website that is super fast for very like discerning devs, people who care about, you know, that kind of thing. That if somebody inspects the the network traffic on their personal site, they won't be like, whoa, uh, why are you downloading 25 megs of JavaScript or whatever? That was an exaggeration, but yeah, that's the idea with public. And so far, I think the users, the people who are in it, it's a private beta right now. There's a couple hundred devs uh, that have built their sites with public and the feedback has been good. Like there are people, you know, it's a lot of people in the AWS community that they're into technology. They want to have their own personal site. They're a developer, but they're not necessarily somebody that likes to build websites. Like they mostly work with infrastructure or DevOps or whatever. Uh, so for that crowd, I think it, it checks that box pretty nicely. Yeah, that kind of describes me as well. I've uh, had uh, used quite a few different uh, website builders uh, for the various landing pages I've had to build for my courses and workshops. And like I said, just the performance of those things. So uh, once you start looking, it's just not pretty at all. Um, it's yeah. really easy to get going and put something together. But then once it's out there, you kind of want it to load fast, which is going to help you for SEO and a whole bunch of other things as well. Uh, yep. And certainly, like I said, you know, if it's something that you're going to, share with the public as something that represents you, you kind of want it to you know, be good, right? To be not just pretty, yeah. but also be fast so that, uh, you know, it looks good on you. So yeah, really interested to see how this goes. And uh, there's pretty good chance that uh, some of my uh, landing pages is going to move over to public dev at some point. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I'd love that. No, it's, uh, I think I, the feedback's been good. I think, you know, the, there's still a lot I want to build out and there's sort of like, I don't know, I built it because I didn't like my personal site and I wanted some easier way to manage it. But I sort of have this idea that it's it's to manage like your whole personal public sort of footprint, right? So like I want to add blogging and I want to add, you know, other things to manage all the places that you present yourself as a dev online. That's the idea. And that's why it's public.dev. It's sort of your whole public uh, representation on the web, trying to fix your whole online presence in one place. And I'm building it on Twitch, if you want to come watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm actually really surprised what hour I see you go on Twitch because uh, you must be really late your time or really early your time because uh, I wake up around 10, 11 o'clock uh, over here in Europe and I think about uh, now a couple of hours after I wake up, you're going on Twitch. I'm like, I swear it's like four o'clock in the morning. He's like, <laughs> yeah. 
No, I do. I start my my stream in the morning at four. I wake up around three three thirty. I've got every time I say this, I feel like people think I'm like one of those hustler types or hustle culture or whatever. I don't like sleep too little. I just go to bed really early. We've got two young boys, and my wife and I have sort of worked out this arrangement where I go to bed really early because they go to bed early, and then I get up really early. And I'm able to work for four or five hours before they even wake up. So it just allows us more kind of time as a family later in the day. I can take off early. And, and uh, yeah, it's sort of like schedule arbitrage within our family. But it does lead to like a lot of that. People don't understand why I'm working at the wee hours of the morning in the US. Or they think I live in Europe or something. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. And actually speaking about the, I guess, work hours and uh, getting a good work-life balance, I guess pivot to talk about some of the work you've been doing as a consultant. One of the things that you mentioned to me in the past is that you've had some really good experience working with AWS IQ, which for those of you who haven't heard about it, is essentially like a marketplace where as a consultant or expert, you can put yourself, build a profile on AWS IQ and then AWS customers who are looking for help with uh, how to use Lambda or API Gateway, they're looking for some ex external help, they can go to AWS IQ and find certified professionals like Adam here, and then just basically contact him and ask for help. And I think AWS IQ, they had a thing where they stopped taking commissions a while back. Uh, I don't know if that is still the case, uh, but I think usually they take a few percentage, right? Is that right? Yeah, it used to be. So when I first started using IQ, maybe 18 months ago, it was something like 15% from the expert side. So, you know, if you're a certified expert on AWS IQ, you're one of the people that people are trying to hire. They took 15% from yours, and I think they added 3% to the buyer side, so the AWS customer side. Now, the buyer side doesn't pay anything, so it's 0% on that side, and then it's 2.5% on the expert side. So they just completely like gutted the fees and made it way more attractive, I think to people like me. Yeah, some of the things that you've shared on the social media and uh, some of the numbers in terms of the number of clients you've worked with on AWS IQ, yeah. but also in terms of the revenue you've been able to generate uh, through those work has been really impressive. Uh, but at the same time, I think I've spoken with a few other people who are also working with clients via AWS IQ, but they've not had any anywhere near the level of success that you've had. And I think you mentioned that the fact that you have been able to do really well is because you've got some crazy number of certificates. Uh, how many have you got now? Uh, so I've got 12 AWS certifications. I, I don't have the SAP one, but I have the Alexa Skills Builder, which has been retired. So I have 12, which is the most they have right now. I just don't have the SAP and I have an old retired one. But yeah, 12. So basically, you've done all of the certification exams and you've qualified for pretty much every facet of cloud development on AWS imaginable. And so yeah. I guess, uh, is that a big difference between you and somebody else who is also trying to make a living of AWS IQ? It's just the fact that on that platform, you've got customers coming to it with no, I guess, preconception about who Adam Elmo is or who somebody yeah. else is. And the only way to gauge you know, how good this person might be is by either some reviews they've had or the number of certifications they've had. Yeah, no, absolutely. So when I, I actually did all the certifications and I didn't know about IQ, uh, but once I, I got them all, I, I sort of applied and learned about this marketplace. And it turns out that on that marketplace, when you sort of submit, you know, you want to be doing work for a customer that has requested, you know, for expert help, you put your name in the hat with a bunch of other people and they display your name 
your little avatar and the number of certs, just a, a flat number. So mine will just say, I think it's 11 because they don't, they don't count the, uh, what's the first cert, the, uh, before the associate levels. They don't count that one. The developer practitioner, is that the one? Yeah, cloud practitioner. So that one doesn't count toward IQ, but it just has that number next to my name and everyone else, you know, has their number. And I, I, I swear to you, I've had customers tell me that <laughs> they chose me because, or they wanted to reach out to me because it was like, I had a really big number and the other person had three. And like, that was the reason that they wanted to talk with me. So I know, I know from conversations I've had with other people and it's a friendly group in the expert community on IQ, like there's a Slack, but I know from conversations with those people that they don't have quite the same experience. So I I felt like if I wanted to work with a customer that showed up on IQ, I could sort of respond to them and maybe 80% of the time they'd want to get on a call or they'd follow up. And I know that's not the case with other folks that don't have as many certs. So I do think the certifications, if you live in the UK, France, or the US, and you can be an AWS IQ expert, that's a surefire way to sort of get yourself at least on a phone call. Like it gets you that foot in the door just because that number, it catches their attention. This is the way they display it even just on IQ. And then once you get on that conversation, I think if you can sort of hold a conversation with the customer and if you enjoy talking with customers, I think those are the two main factors. So get as many searches as you can. And if you enjoy talking with customers, I think you can do really well on AWS IQ. I think there's there's a lot of noise. I mean, like any marketplace like that, there's a lot of people who they maybe aren't great potential partners that you want to work with, or even people that just don't realize that what IQ is, that people that get sort of directed there thinking it's support. And so you have to filter through the like 95% of it that's maybe noise, but then there's there's a good steady stream, you know, month to month of startups that they're not big enough to sort of have dedicated $15,000 a month AWS support with TAMs and everything else, but they have needs that sort of extend beyond their team. Like they don't internally have expertise building on AWS and they know that that's what they want to do. I think that's where IQ is this this great marketplace for those types of customers. And you find one of those and they can be a, a long-term, you can, I mean, I've built for six, eight months with customers that I met on IQ and that's just, that's kind of the nature of it. It's you, you have to sort of watch it and and see those customers come by. But once once you meet those people and, and then the relationships just sort of build into other relationships with, you know, word of mouth and things like that. Uh, yeah, I love IQ. I think it's a it's a really great platform and and I try to sort of sing its praises every chance I get. Yeah, I'm still waiting for it uh, over here in the Netherlands for a while and I'm still waiting. <laughs> I saw them, uh, they went live uh, to UK uh, a while back, but unfortunately that was after I left the UK. <laughs> I hope that speeds up. Like I know that they're trying to move it as global as they can on the expert side. I hope that they they can start speeding that up maybe because they went the what two years I think just in the US and then most recently added the UK and France. Uh, yeah, I hope to see that keep expanding because that's the one thing when I talk about it on Twitter, I, I feel like the AWS community and the Twitter community are so global. It's very hard to like tell people go sign up for IQ when most of them can't. Like if they're hearing what I'm saying. <laughs> Also, in terms of the kind of work you get from IQ, is it mostly consultant, I guess, advisory type of work, or do you get a mix of uh, advisory as well as, uh, oh, uh, Adam, can you come and help us build this app? We got this idea, but we we can't hire someone to do it, or, or we can't afford an agency like Accenture or one of these big companies that's going to charge you a boatload of money to build something really simple. Can you come and help us, especially you being full, quite full stack, you know, build the front end, the mobile app, as well as the back end? Yeah, it's, it's a mixed bag. And I would say 
because I mean, these people on the other end, the customers that are AWS customers, they're also building, you know, front end applications and they don't necessarily come into it thinking, oh, this person's just going to help me with my AWS stuff. If you let them, they will let you come in and build whatever. <laughs> so early on, like these days, I don't do a lot of work on IQ and I'll talk about that. But early on, when I first got into IQ, I made the mistake of sort of agreeing to whatever people wanted you know, help with. And I, I am a full stack developer. I have that background. And it was sort of like, hey, you want to build a full stack SaaS web application? I could do that. That didn't turn out as well generally for me. It just it's like harder to sort of set good boundaries and the scope is harder to contain when there's a front end and people have opinions about how front end should operate and those sort of things. So I learned pretty quickly after a few months that I wanted to sort of avoid that work, but it is available. I mean, you can find small businesses on AWS IQ, you find funded startups, uh, and you can sort of find that opportunity to build front end web stuff if you want it. But I've learned that I'm more comfortable I think from a consulting standpoint, if someone's going to pay me to do work, I'd much prefer to build out cloud infrastructure where there's just fewer, like nobody, there's no like, I want that button to look different. The cloud stuff, like there's just no parallel to that. And I've not had a good experience sort of drawing good boundaries and lines around what the scope is for a web application. And there's mobile, there's been mobile applications. I've done work uh, on that front. And yeah, I just, I, I much prefer to stick to backend stuff these days. Yeah, like uh, things like what color the buttons are and the really small, tiny little things that the people want to tweak. Yeah, there's a lot of back and forth. Like when, when you build a front end for somebody, there's just no way to like get it all right together. Like when you're trying to define the scope for a project, it's just very hard with a web application to sort of get it all nailed down up front. And it's worked so much better for me to sort of work that way in third party or in consulting relationships where I do sort of fixed cost, fixed scope here's what I'm going to build you. This is what it costs. It's just a lot harder to do that with web applications. And if I have any say in it moving forward, I try to avoid other people paying me to build front end stuff. That's actually very interesting because that's also what I prefer to do as well in terms of how I charge and work with clients, fixed price, the, with a fixed scope. But like you said, I also struggle with sometimes the scope creep. So always have to yeah. You know, building some buffer into that fixed price so that uh, you know within certain amount of flexibility i'm going to have to give the customer yeah. that we, should, we need to be ch change certain things but just not entirely new features that just wasn't discussed and priced into the fixed price yep i feel like i've read some of your stuff maybe like blog articles about you've written some like full stack like AppSync based applications for people right is that an experience we share in common with consulting for the consulting stuff, I only do the backend really clear, clear about, you know, I'm not a front-end developer, at least not a good one, and I shouldn't be, you know, doing that for you. <laughs> if you want something that's going to work well. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I've been building, I guess I've been the backend team for a few of my clients and build entire backend infrastructure for them on AWS. And that's where I'm good at and where I'm happy as well. But for the AppSync Masterclass, that's why I partner with uh, Gerard Sons and he's uh, been you know, doing the, the front end stuff. I kind of built in the, the early prototype demo. It kind of works and it looks about right, but you know, he's not doing all, he's not following all the front end best practices. It's not uh, progressive. Uh, you know, if it resides to the mobile, everything's going to look wrong. Yep. So he's coming. So much stuff on the front yeah. end. I think front end's harder, personally. I mean, I know that Me I'm a back-end developer, so maybe we say that because that's what we're more comfortable with. I just think, like, a lot of people, I see it on Twitter, 
like want to if they're like a back-end oriented dev they want to say things like ah front end yeah what are you like designing buttons and stuff there's so much that goes on with state management and accessibility and yeah responsiveness like just getting things right from a design perspective it's so much harder on the front end in my opinion Absolutely. It's not just the code you're writing, but also there's a lot of small subtle things you have to do in terms of um, you know, the things that I struggle with, you know, like the styling, all that. But that's, that's probably not where the front-end developers normally struggle with because if you look at some proper front-end code, there's a lot of complexities around the state management. I mean, on the back end, we kind of take for granted that we've got these microservices. Uh, you know, we learn how to um, decompose a large problem into smaller ones. On the front end, that is still in the infancy. I mean, you still just have micro front end. That's just kind of, uh, people are still working out how to do it. Yeah, and if it's even a good idea. Yeah, yeah. and if it's a good idea, because otherwise you've got this big application, this huge monolith with so many things happening. You've got to know, you've got synchronous processes you have to keep track of. You have to worry about user doing stuff at the wrong time. You have to worry about asynchronous processes, updating data in the background. There's a lot of things you've got to think about all at once, and you have to do them all in one code base, one repo. There's no easy way to decouple them and decompose them into smaller chunks. Yep. So the front-end code is a lot more complicated and complex than the back-end code, I think. Yeah, I, so I started streaming and I thought like, oh, I'm going to be able to stream, like building out all these cool, you know, backend APIs with AppSync or whatever, building stuff with Dynamo. And I spend like 15 minutes building something on the backend and then I have to spend like eight hours building the front end for it. And I realized my whole stream is just me like fiddling with Tailwind classes. And that's not probably what people are there for, but I don't know how to avoid it and stuff. Yeah, you just uh, described uh, my last two days, spending many, many hours just uh, fiddling with a tailwind. Okay, that doesn't look quite right. Let's make the text a bit bigger. The color is not quite consistent with the previous fit. (laughs) But it's fun. It's fun. I have to say, it's also quite satisfying that you get the really instant feedback compared to a lot of time on the back end. Looking at logs, you're kind of looking at logs and that's kind of your output yeah. that you're working with. Whereas on the front end, everything's very visual, very reactive. You get instant feedback and instant gratification as well, which I do like about that compared to what I do on the back end. Yeah, and I even do enjoy front end development. I make fun of like the process a lot and how slow I am, but I like... I just don't want to do it for customers. I don't want people to pay me for doing front end work because I feel like I'm too slow and it's not good use of anyone's resources. But when it's for my own projects, I probably enjoy working on the front end more. It's sort of a love-hate relationship. Like I know I'm slow. I know there's probably people that could do what I'm doing much faster and with much less pain. But something about it is enjoyable. I don't know if it is that just like save the file, see the change. Something about it, I can't stop doing it. So (laughs) I should stop uh, saying I want to, I guess. Um, so you mentioned just now that uh, uh, you're moving away from AWS IQ. So why is that? Is uh, something yeah. not working out for you? Oh, no. Yeah. So I think I've seen this pattern on IQ where like people have asked me, because I, I, I sort of have said a few times in various contexts that I think more people, more experts should sign up, like get some certifications. I think it's this clear blueprint if you live in one of those countries to like go out, get these certifications or as many as you can, even just five, six, seven, I think you differentiate pretty quickly and then go and get on the platform and try it out. And I think there's this pretty clear path to sort of like make a pretty good living working from home, working independently. And the, one of the things that people come back to me with is, well, if everyone starts doing that, then there's just too many experts. There's not enough, there's not going to be enough work going around. And what I found is I used IQ really heavily for maybe four or five months. And then from there, you have like 
existing relationships. So people you start working with early at IQ, you maybe continue working with, and those relationships can last for months and months beyond the time that you were actually on IQ looking for work. I found as I've looked at expert profiles, you look at the review histories, very few are like active for long periods of time. I think you kind of get a few good clients on IQ and that gets you going. And then from there, you don't necessarily need it as much. You don't need that new stream of work. So for me, now I get a lot of my work from Twitter, which is kind of weird. I mean, it's, it's strange because that's like the only place I hang out online. And when all of your clients are on Twitter and they're following you because that's how they found you, uh, it just makes it a little weird to talk about your work. Uh, but you kind of, you do, you develop these other channels where you're finding customers that have problems that they think you can solve. And I think that's the thing. Like, I still love IQ. I just haven't had to be on it for several months because I've sort of, I did pretty well with it for a while. And then, you know, you do really well, you kind of take some time and you, you can slow down a little bit. And then I started finding, you know, people were reaching out to me. Uh, I think that's kind of the pattern. It's not so much a problem with IQ. It's just the nature of once you have success on it, you'll probably find you don't need it. And that's why I think it's so good for the new entrants. It's like you're coming in and people are passing the baton. You know, there's there's more customers that need work and experts are sort of graduating out of it. But it's nice even now knowing that it's there. Like it helps me, you know, I don't have that psychology where I'm worried about finding work because I know there's this sort of like infinite legion that is IQ. And if I ever needed to find new work, I could get on there and start sort of putting my name in the hat and eventually find something. So yeah, it, I'd love it. I think I, I just, it's kind of the nature of, of being on IQ is that you'll maybe eventually not need it. And also I think, uh, you know, with IQ doing well for both the customers as well as for experts, uh, you know, this can only be good for everybody if the market continues to evolve and to get more people on board so that the experts can more easily find work and the customer can more easily find the help they need. Because there's a lot of customers who are looking for help. A lot of them, they just don't know where to go to look for those help. And yep. oftentimes I get I get works like you through Twitter, through LinkedIn. People just ask me on those social platforms, hey, I've got this problem. I don't know where to find help from. Can you yeah. help me out? Yeah, it's definitely something that I love to see grow even bigger and hopefully reach out to more continents and countries. Yeah, that's the other side of it. Like the expert pool doesn't seem to just continue to grow. So if you're a new expert coming in, you didn't miss the boat. But then also there just should be more and more customers on IQ all the time. I think as AWS gets better at directing the right customers to IQ, you're just going to see that grow. But not to mention like AWS continuing to grow. So as more and more startups are choosing AWS or more and more small businesses are building on AWS, like you've got this growing pool of AWS customers and hopefully AWS just continues to get better at driving the right ones to IQ and sort of filtering out, you know, the people who just need support help. I think, yeah, the, the trends should just be more and more good work and good pairings on IQ between customers and experts. I'm bullish on the platform. So going back to 12 certificates, what's your tip for uh, learning uh, but also how to pass those uh, certification exams? Yeah. So this is a topic that my answer is way more nuanced than I've ever probably spent the time to lay out. So I'm going to try and lay it all out here. I've said in various settings that I almost did all the certifications as like a, a parlor trick. Like it, I didn't set out doing the certs for probably the right reasons or the reasons most people take certifications. I viewed them as, well, I was really into AWS. So I'd been building on AWS for six, seven years when I first took the certs. 
And I thought, one, it'll help me sort of validate what I know about AWS and what I think I know. It'll help me fill in all the gaps where I just wasn't aware of stuff. That was my assumption. It turned out to be very false, and I'll, I'll go into that. But it turned out that I knew very little about AWS. <laughs> and for most of those certs, I actually did have to prepare heavily because it was stuff I didn't use. Uh, you know, I'm mostly built with serverless technology, and the 12 certifications don't really touch serverless concepts that much. So it's a lot more like traditional workloads on AWS, you know, EC2 and living in a VPC. And then as you get into the specialties, you get into more like niche services that I just had never used. Uh, so in terms of preparing for them, I was going at it with this like speed run mentality. So <laughs> I wanted to get all 12 as fast as I possibly could. And that ended up being about six weeks. And so that's two a week for six weeks. I was preparing in ways that probably I wouldn't recommend other people to prepare. So I'm an auditory learner. I learn by listening, which makes like lectures, podcasts, audiobooks really great for me. I can speed them up. Like if it's on a platform where I can run it at two times or two and a half times speed, I can blow through some video content. Even like I first signed up for the associates with a cloud guru. And I think I did all the three associates with my seven day free trial on a cloud guru. So I just listened to like the entire courses for all three of them over a few days in a week. And, and I have that sort of unique ability to do. I don't think that's normal. I don't think most people should try sitting for 10 hours at a time and listening to stuff at two times speed. But that that's how I, I really like that. Like I really enjoy just sort of like washing information over me. So I prepared in kind of unusual ways. I'd say like mostly listening to content really fast and then just relying on experience. So I did have a lot of experience building on AWS, a lot of the high level concepts and services, they sort of like you know, made sense to me. And I could kind of, I understood the places where AWS rhymes and, and where you could kind of fill in the gaps, but also I'm just a good test taker. And this is why, like, I feel like all of my experiences with certifications are super weird and not generally applicable to people that maybe are interested in certs for the right reasons, which are like, it could open doors for you. IQ is a good reason in my mind, like why I got them, then I'm, I'm glad I got them for IQ's sake. But I've never like applied for a job with certification. So I don't know how much weight they have when it comes to hiring. I don't know. I learned some things. I don't use a lot of the knowledge I learned from the certifications because again, it's services I mostly don't use. There's not a serverless certification path yet. Uh, which I think is coming, which is great. Yeah, so I, it was sort of like this parlor trick. I have mixed feelings about the value of certifications. And I've never really been someone that thought certifications were like this really valuable thing to put on your resume or whatever. But I'm super like weird in that I've never worked a normal job in my life. I was a lifeguard in high school. And then since then, I've worked for myself. So I haven't had a traditional career in that sense. When you work for yourself, you don't really have a resume. You don't really apply for jobs. And in that sense, I don't know the weight of certifications. And that's most of what people are interested in, I think. Uh, so yeah, I did them for weird reasons, mostly just to see how fast I could do them. Ended up benefiting me greatly in the IQ front. And I did learn a lot. It was a fun process for me, I guess, like going through the learnings and getting prepared. I just love the like preparation leading up to a test. I love the nerves that morning. So I took the tests all early in the morning when I wake up at three or four. I love like the, my wife makes fun of me because I, I genuinely enjoy that like nervous feeling before the test starts and then like the pressure of the test. Something about the whole thing, I, I get like a high and that's not a good reason probably to like 
for me to tell people to take the certifications. I don't feel like I have good advice. <laughs> I don't know if other people should take them because that's something people ask me a lot because I have all the certifications is like, well, should I go get them? I don't know. I, I honestly, I have no idea. I just don't know if, what the, the weight of certifications are within the industry. I think as someone who's done a lot of uh, recruitment uh, in my previous jobs, we don't really look at certifications uh, very highly. As you mentioned, a lot of times they cover such a broad range of topics. They oftentimes are covering things that's not going to be useful, but then the, the portion that's actually applicable to your day-to-day -day responsibilities are probably really small. You can't really judge based on whether or not someone holds a certification. But yeah. I think uh, from the IQ point of view, it's definitely useful because as a differentiator compared to other candidates on the IQ, but I do think if you're new to AWS, someone who hasn't had much actual professional experience, this can still be a really good way to learn about AWS and also to get some, um, at least just some proof that at least you are interested in AWS that and yeah. for a potential employer that, hey, I know I haven't got any commercial experience using AWS, but hey, look, I've been learning. I've been, I can prove the fact that I've been learning uh, and also I've got certifications to kind of show for my effort. So as an yeah. employer, at least I look at that and see, okay, now this person at least is keen and he's not just, because everybody tells you, you know, they're a fast learner. <laughs> There's not a single per candidate I've ever interviewed that's, that I would say, yeah, I'm a slow learner. Uh, <laughs> but no, oftentimes people just can't you know, give me examples for things that they have learned, uh, yeah. and especially someone who is applying for a role where it's going to be very you know, heavy on AWS and the cloud, trying to show me that the fact that you're actually keen on the things we're going to be using, if you haven't got hands-on experience already, having certification can just add as a proof that, hey, at least you're, you're keen, at least you're doing something to, about uh, the fact that you're lacking commercial experience. But other than yeah. that, for people who has been working with AWS, I don't think it's that important that whether or not you have certifications. Yeah, it's super mixed feelings for me because on the one hand, I feel like the fact that I did them so fast was almost like sort of proving, like just proving how you can game them and kind of the bad side of certifications. Like I have 12 certifications. Does that mean because I spent those six weeks head down doing that, that I suddenly know so many things like that sort of like is the bad side of certifications that they are, there are multiple choice tests at the end of the day and you can game that. Right. But on the other hand, I know, you know, the folks on the team, the certifications and training team, I've met with them. They're fantastic folks that are really passionate about laying out the best educational materials possible to teach people AWS. And that, that side of it, I think if you're doing it for your own learning adventure, if you know, it's going to force you because you want to prepare for that test. And you want to pass that test. It's going to force you to learn stuff that you're interested in learning. I think for that reason, it's great. I just, I know most people ask about certifications from a future job prospects standpoint. And that's where I feel like I have no evidence to say I'm just standing on shaky ground. Like I can't tell you it's going to be a great thing for your career. I can tell you you're going to learn stuff and that the AWS training and search team has put together a lot of great materials. Doing that test and, and forcing yourself to learn that stuff, you'll see benefits for that reason. Just maybe lower your expectations in terms of what it'll do for your career or your job prospects. So speaking about uh, learning AWS and teaching people AWS, uh, you've got a new course coming up. So can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I sort of live in two worlds. And, and there are other folks like this, I think, where like on Twitter, I'm half like one foot in the like modern web dev community. So people who get really bothered about like time to first byte and the latest whatever front end framework or the latest JavaScript runtime, like I live in that sphere on, you know, Twitter, and just in my interests, like I do find myself very interested in web technology and, and building for the web. Uh, but then also, 
AWS and, and sort of building out infrastructure. And I've seen what AWS has sort of opened me up to as someone who, you know, as a former web developer, AWS has opened a ton of doors for me. And it's just been a lot of fun to learn this stuff that was pretty foreign to me at the beginning of my career. So I guess like I have this passion now to try, <laughs> and I'll talk about the challenges here, to try to bring more web developers into this world and sort of expose them to, you know, going beyond like Next.js API routes. I, I think a lot of front-end developers sort of think the back-end is serverless functions now. That's what they've learned and that they have available to them. They can deploy their thing on Vercel. And I'm trying to say like, for not for everybody, but for some web developers, there's value in going beyond that and seeing what other tools, you know, you could open up in your career. And just even for your own self, building things like adding more tools to that tool belt, right? So building on, you know, AppSync or API Gateway, building with these AWS primitives that can really extend what you're able to build for the web. So that's my passion. That's what I'm really excited about teaching other web developers. The challenges I'm learning are, I have a hard time convincing myself even, sometimes the way I build applications is like a good general approach for most developers. So I <laughs> I mostly build on AppSync and I loved your math class, by the way. I mostly build like I write VTL resolvers and I do DynamoDB even is a pretty big barrier for web developers. I've found that like the way I build applications with AWS and in full stack, even the way I incorporate it all into one solution is pretty niche. And the challenge I'm having now is saying, how do I introduce these concepts and AWS as a concept to web developers who have been pretty averse to it? How do I introduce it without just completely overwhelming them? Because you know, trying to teach Dynamo is like a whole nother thing. Maybe they have exposure to SQL databases and they know how to work with a SQL database. And if you're trying to introduce Dynamo, which I think is a really great way to build on AWS, you know, serverless applications, it's just one more thing that it's like, I, I want to just point people at Alex's book and be like, here's the DynamoDB book, read that. And then we'll, we'll start talking uh, <laughs> because it just feels like there's these huge mountains that are in the way of, of sort of delivering the message I'm trying to deliver. Uh, so I'm I'm kind of in the process, like I'm hoping to re release the course in the fall. I'm in the process of figuring out that scope and, and sort of how far do I take this? Because everything I'm passionate about and everything I like to build with is not necessarily the best way. And particularly with web developers who don't have the years of context that I have, I guess, at this point. Uh, yeah, it's a fun challenge. I mean, you've done the course thing, so I'm sure you know what lies ahead for me. But I'm just kind of in the early stages. It's a lot of work, <laughs> that's all I can say. Uh, but I think uh, there is a massive market of, uh, and probably a slightly underserved market of, uh, like I said, front-end developers who want to learn how to build applications on AWS. And uh, there's a lot of um, like getting started tutorials and things like that, that doesn't really go into a lot of depth. And that's why I kind of did uh, this AppSync Masterclass but at the same time, I know that, uh, hey, I'm not a front-end developer. I don't think in the same way as they do. Uh, and I'm going to make assumptions that are probably not true if I target that market. So the kind of uh, students I kind of look at is someone who's already been doing mostly backend stuff, at least have basic understanding of, of AWS. So they're not really relying on me to teach them everything about DynamoDB, but I'm kind of showing them how to put everything together and how to do this. Uh, for most of my courses, I tend to pivot on the sort of production side of things, how to do the 
operational yeah. side of things, how to do monitoring, observability. That is the kind of the thing that I tend to focus on a lot because, uh, you know, that's kind of the area where I think uh, I can add a lot of value because, you know, I've been doing backend my entire career and I've, most of that is on AWS. And I've spent a lot of time dealing with production issues and how to figure out, you know, what's going on. So, you know, that's where I see myself adding a lot of value. But at the same time, I know a lot of people who just want to get into the door and that their background is not in cloud, is not in AWS. So they struggle to understand a lot of basic concepts. And that's why I see, I think it was um, Jack Ellis. He did a really good course on the Laravel. I think uh, he's using a, a framework that lets you run Laravel on Lambda. And he's kind of you know, teaching people from like, the PHP background, hey, you know, your PHP code doesn't have to just run on some dusty old server anymore. You can yeah. write the same code that you used to, but then have them run in Lambda. And this is a modern compute platform that's going to give you all this scalability and cost savings, all that good stuff. And just kind of you know, have the cake and eat it too. You see a lot of pockets of this kind of uh, the, uh, communities that uh, has been underserved almost by the Lambda platform itself uh, in terms of really good support for their language, but also in terms a lot of the educational materials out there so i'm really yeah. interested to see what you come up with in terms of your curriculum and how you approach your course so i'm definitely looking forward to seeing uh, your course in action yeah though no, you i think you nailed it too in terms of like just some feedback as one of your students uh, you know i was somebody who's building with AppSync, but i never felt like i was probably doing things the right way and to your point observability and monitoring and just the productionization of an application, I felt very in the dark. So that was why I signed up for AppSync Masterclass. I mean, that was like, I am an AppSync developer. I want to move deeper and, and sort of make sure I'm taking advantage of, of this service in the best way. I think what you said about Jack's course, that's much more in line with what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to sort of take people who don't have AWS experience and guide them into this world that I think can open doors for them. It's not for every web dev, like, but I think there are there's a subset of web devs who could open up just doors in terms of career. Like they might want to start moving more into DevOps or more into, you know, building on AWS. That's kind of what I'm trying to do, but it's, it is tough because you're sort of trying to sell this whole idea of why bother? Like it, you're, you're trying to take them from their happy life building on the web to this whole new world. And everyone knows that, you know, there's 200 AWS services and it's like overwhelming and all these things. So you have to kind of contend with all that. So yeah, it's a challenge. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> I'm glad you're going to be watching and, and they're kind of over my shoulder looking out for what I do. <laughs> yeah, it's a really interesting challenge. Uh, but I also think it's, uh, this can be a massive upside as well because you think how many web developers are out there, how big that particular market uh, segment is. So if you can sufficiently address that uh, market segment, then is, this is a massive opportunity for you. I mean, I look yeah. at uh, you know what uh, people like Ken Dodd and others have done with their React courses and the number of students they're able to teach globally. The numbers are just mind-boggling, and I think oh, sure. uh, every single one of those guys uh, might be a potential student for something like this, where you're teaching them not just how to write the front end, but also show them that you know, writing the back end is actually a lot easier nowadays compared to what it was maybe five, ten years ago. So you yeah. don't have to learn all this networking stack, uh, which takes like an entire degree to actually understand how a packet goes from one place to another. You can now just write some business logic and then let AWS do that dirty work, do the difficult work, which yes. nobody cares about until stuff breaks anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's the, the pitch. I mean, like most developers still on the web, they're used to these kind of like proven patterns for deploying applications to the web and, and these frameworks like Ruby on Rails or Laravel that sort of like 
you build them a certain way. And I'm, I guess I'm trying to like give them a peek in behind the curtain of this whole new way, as you know, of building applications that I believe is the future in terms of serverless on AWS. Yeah, it's, and you know, I've just had a lot of questions. Like if you put a lot of stuff out there, as you know, in the world, you get a lot of DMs and a lot of people reaching out just about various things. And one of the themes is like people who, because I do kind of interact with the web community, it's people who they've been this sort of web developer at their job for a long time, but they've been interested in the people over there that do the DevOps stuff. And they'd kind of like to know what is that world and how do you get into it? I think that's the the sort of secondary target of mine. Like I'm trying to help those people. I'm trying to answer those questions. How do you sort of branch into into AWS as a web developer? We'll see. It, yeah, it's a big challenge, but uh, I'm really excited about it. So it's something I'm pretty passionate about. I think that helps. I tend to stick with stuff and work on it when I'm really passionate about it. So, yeah, that always helps. But yeah, no, best of luck. I really look forward to uh, what you come up with. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. So we're almost uh, at the top of the hour. This has been great. Uh, I've really enjoyed uh, having this conversation. Before Damn. we go, is there anything else that you'd like to share? Maybe like upcoming projects or other things that you'd like to tell the audience? I don't think so. I, I guess like if you hear this and you have ever been on Twitch. I'd love to see you on Twitch. Uh, that's where I'm I'm spending my entire days lately. <laughs> it's just like streaming my entire workday on Twitch. So I'd love to see you there. Uh, I'd love to see anyone at reInvent. So I'm making my one trip for the year this fall. I'll be in reInvent or in, in Las Vegas for reInvent. So uh, yeah, that's all I've got, I guess. Okay. So if you want to see Adam work live uh, on Twitch, then the, you'll find the link in the description below. But otherwise, uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure having you on here, Adam. Thanks so much for having me. Take it easy, man. Okay, bye-bye. You too. So that's it for another episode of Real World Serverless. To access the show notes, please go to realworldserverless.com. If you want to learn how to build production-ready serverless applications, please check out my upcoming courses at productionreadyserverless.com. And I'll see you guys next time.